This is The Dime, a 10-minute dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. Today, we're joined by a super special guest, Rena Sherbel, host of the Cannabis Investing Podcast and senior editor at Seeking Alpha. Rena, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Thank you guys for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. I uh, I enjoy the informal, irreverent conversation that you guys are bringing to the cannabis landscape. So super happy to be a part of the show. We appreciate your time. Kel and I are also big fans of your work. And kind of before we dive into some of these fun topics, uh, I think it'd be really helpful for our listeners to kind of share a little bit about your background and how you got into the space. So as I was, I was saying to you guys, I grew up in Chicago. I had a front row seat to Michael Jordan's dominance in the 90s. I went to school in, uh, <laughs> in New York, studied journalism, and uh, I did my junior year abroad at, at Hebrew U, and I kind of fell in love with the lifestyle. I, I fell in love with the, the landscape, kind of everything about the vibe here. And then I ended up moving here after graduating and worked in journalism, PR, a bit in film. Um, and then kind of in 2008, before the financial world exploded, I, a couple months before that, started working at Seeking Alpha and was uh, another front row seat to kind of mayhem. And I think a much deeper understanding of uh, the financial economic picture and, and how that affects us. And then like two years ago, started uh, the Cannabis Investing Podcast and have not turned back and I'm, I'm, I'm just loving being a part of the sector. Yeah, the cannabis space is just an absolutely exploding one. I think your perspective from the Israel one and based on the financial is going to be some really insightful analysis for our listeners on the topic today. So today we're going to dive into mainstream media and kind of the disconnect that's going on. Obviously, there's a big misunderstanding or confusion going on. You turn on CNBC or other financial analysis and you see interviews of large leadership from U.S. MSOs. But on the side, you see Canadian LP tickers. Why? What's the deal with that? Yeah. Why, Reyna? Why, why can't they figure that out? And, and what's going on? Great question. I mean, look, I think I, I, you can't just blame it on incompetence, although I'm tempted to. Um, I think the main reasons are because of the high market caps and because they trade on the main exchanges. And so it's just the easy kind of play. It's the easy comparison. And and I think at the beginning of the cannabis industry becoming an industry and and less of like the weed business, um, I think, you know, it was the Canadian players that everybody was talking about and looking at. And it was the only businesses that people, you know, that had any real maturity or real strong financial picture. Um, it's only been in the past couple of years that I think the U.S. players have risen to the fore there and and proven themselves there. So I think it's a bit of that and not what's the worst thing I think we can do in media, maybe in life in general is not adapt. And I think we're just, for the most part, the mainstream media is just not adapting to the full picture of what cannabis is right now, which is when the US, when there's plays in the US, it does not matter what Tilray does. Even, I mean, it's not just the US. It's like, if you see a play in Mexico, you know, Mexico's about to come online in terms of legalization. And there's also, there's, you know, talk of, oh, this company or Tilray again, or, you know, whoever it is. And it's just, or even a U.S. player that has no business or ties to, you know, South America at this point. Like, 
yes, maybe there's many maybes at this point because there's so many unknown variables, I think, yet to happen. Um, but I would say I would say those are the main reasons. And I think underlying that is a certain kind of uh, lack of understanding of what's happening in the cannabis picture and just kind of relying on old tropes. I mean, I, I agree with a lot of that. And I think that at the end of the day, Canada was the first one to legalize. Yeah. Right. And so there's like a safety in terms of like balancing the cultural stigma that still exists in the United States while still trying to actively convince retail investors that it's a safe place to kind of park their money for growth. Right. And so I think that um, that could be playing a huge factor in terms of how the media is communicating, at least to the, to the American population and why they may kind of be favoring some of these Canadian stock tickers just because it is, it is potentially a safer play, right? It's still federally illegal in the United States. So you never know what really could happen from um, a federal government standpoint. Um, that's, that's my two cents on it. What do you think, Brian? I've gone back and forth on this topic for at least a couple of weeks now on what I really think. And if I'm just kind of reaching for conspiracies, which sometimes is like a fun thing to do, they, I just can't possibly understand how they could have Boris Jordan up there and put up the Canadian LPs. Like, is it is it based on just a lack of competence, which find that hard to believe, because if you're bringing these people on, you're doing some due diligence, you're, you're figuring out the questions you want to compare them to their peers. And by comparing them to the people north of the border, you're not really doing a good job of understanding of what's going on. But in the same breath, are they trying to communicate more of a relevance to their audience? Like you were saying, Raina, where since they're not uplisted that the, and these large exchanges are not able to invest in these companies, is it more about just kind of communicating directly to the audience on the types of information that's more relevant to them from an informational standpoint? So I'm not really sure. And then, you know, what in order, what is going to change that? I don't even know. I don't know why that's happening. And from a, a next step standpoint, is the mainstream media like, should they be responsible for what's happening? And if not, what do you foresee happening in the future in order to change what's currently happening? Well, I think the uplisting will do a lot to probably get rid of that misnomer in terms of tagging the Canadian companies when something happens in the States. Um I, I do think that that will affect things. I also think that sometimes like the, like the Wall Street Journal will have a story and, you know, Wall Street Journal is great, but I've read a couple of cannabis stories there that I've just been like, what? And then I've seen like three people linked to that story and it just spreads like wildfire. Or if somebody is tweeting something about CNBC and that tweet gets spread, you know, it's just, I think misinformation begets misinformation and miseducation, not the kind Lauren Hill was talking about, begets miseducation. And I, I think that it, it behooves like all of us to listen to these kinds of podcasts and to and to support. And, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on the show. I really believe it, that it's really important to support media that is saying the right thing, even if it's not a big name. Right. I feel like that's what we're understanding is that real quality information and knowledge can be had and for for in many instances can only be had outside the mainstream. So I think it's it's something that we need to teach ourselves and, and relearn. Definitely. And I don't think Jim Cramer is doing himself any favors by blocking everyone that sends him U.S. tickers and 
every time he goes through one of those massive blocking sprees, I'm really fearful that I'm going to be part of this kind of sweeping under the rug. And I have to kind of go peeking the to made it. And then I'm like, maybe I shouldn't send him the six or seven tickers. I always send him, but like it's the same part, come on, Jim, like figure it out, dude. Like some really big companies going on here in the U S and it's not going to really do you any favors by listening to Tilray every single time or talking about these Canadian companies, because, you know, over the next six to 12 months, there's a good chance some of these US MSOs are going to really surpass them in, in EV value. Yeah, I agree. And I think I wonder if Jim Cramer likes being the person that's blocking everybody. And this is now his like soundbite. So it's not bad to to be traveling in any kind of currency, I think, when you want to be playing in that game. So I don't know, maybe that, maybe that's what he's trying to do. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, we'll maybe he's maybe he's not. And we're about to teach him something. But I don't know. So. To continue on this, in what ways has the mainstream media, can we change their attitude towards cannabis? Is it a stigma or what other challenges from a content creation standpoint can we do in order to kind of help educate the space and the masses on some of the understandings that are going to come in the near future? Kellen, do you want to start? Um, That's a good question. I think the most important thing is to continue to educate and get the, the right information out there um talk to people in the industry right i think there's a lot of dialogue that's going on in the mainstream where say cnbc is talking to someone who may be a couple degrees removed from actually operating in the space and and that can kind of skew the information that's being discussed in that dialogue so i think a, a lot of it is just like talking to operators in the space and getting kind of boots on the ground perspective of what's going on Right. And I think that's the most important thing, as well as education. Right. Talking to people who are actively researching in the space and actively participating in um, the stock market associated with investing for for that instance as well. Um, What are your thoughts, Rena? I agree. I agree. I think that's a really strong point is to, you know, get yourself involved in some way in hearing from direct participants in the cannabis industry. And I would say a wide variety of participants not just, and, and that's something, you know, I know that you guys um, talk about like a wide variety of topics on your show. And I also like to have like a wide variety of guests that we're not just getting, you know, the the perspective from the executive, or we're not just getting the perspective from the analyst, or we're not just getting the perspective from the investor, but all of those, you know, combined to make, I think, a cohesive picture. It's certainly a much more cohesive picture. And yeah, just, just stay, I, I think we all need to stay informed and then, you know, the make sure that the stuff we're spreading is informed and knowledgeable and responsible. There was something I saw at the beginning or, or towards the beginning of COVID. It was like who you wanted to who you want to be during COVID. And you don't want to be somebody that's just like passing misinformation and scaring people, even if there's some sort of like weird thrill that comes along with that, you know, or or fear or or even if it's a celebratory thing that's not necessarily true. And I, I just think it's incumbent upon everybody and not just people creating content, but people passing content to make sure. I love that Twitter added that thing. Like um, you have to have read an article right before like uh, passing it on somehow or retweeting it or something. I think that's great, right? That's like, should be a rule. We should all be reading from start to finish and there should be some mechanism that people can check that we've done that. Uh, so yeah, I, I think all of those are, are the ways to do it. Yeah, that's a great point. And as a marketer by trade, click clickbait central is something that I'm very familiar with. And you can tell when the people just retweet the article because you're like, just because it said something in there, you just 
like clipped a content completely out of context and then sent it around. Like that's, that's not what the article says. And if you would have read the article, which I certainly did, you would have realized you're pushing the wrong point there, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Reading absolutely. Absolutely. Reading is hard. So <laughs> I want to kind of change gears a little bit and uh, ask your opinion. Yesterday, Cureleaf came out with their earnings and had some really exciting numbers. And one of the things that they talked about was their recent purchase of EMMAC Life Sciences. And just a little backstory for the listeners, as Europe's largest vertically inter- integrated independent cannabis company, EMMAC's platform brings cultivation, EUGMP, processing, distribution, R&D operations across several key European and medical cannabis markets. Reina, is the game no longer United States? Are we going global soon? So this is something that I've been talking about recently also because there was so much, we were talking about, you know, Canada and the US and that they went and that they went online first and there was so much bullishness, but then there was a real turn and there was a lot of bearishness and everybody's been looking at the states and the states and the huge numbers and there's not enough volume in Canada and there's too many players and they're messing up, you know, going online. And and then it's like, OK, but Canada is not just Canada. They're international. They're going to Europe. They're going to Australia. They're going to, you know, many different countries. Um and I think over the past few months, we've seen that develop, certainly most prominently with the Afria Tilray deal. I think what we saw with Cureleaf is, oh, OK, we're not just you're not just looking to be a big U.S. player. You're looking to be a big player, which I think Cureleaf has done from the beginning. They're always going big. They're always going above, you know, they're punching above their weight at every turn and then looking to kind of see it balance out at, at the next phase of growth. I think it's a strong, strong, um, you know, proof that 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 narrative, I think, has some has some weight to it, that narrative of the international picture. And yes, the volume is very exciting in the States and the number of people that are, you know, constantly coming online is very exciting. But think globally, you know, what's cool, not a million, a billion, you know, like, I mean, I I think that's I, I think that narrative is very strong. And yeah, I think we're seeing it obviously is starting to play out. And and I, I would I would add to that that I think something interesting that we're seeing with that is not just that, um, you know, I think for a while we thought the big players in cannabis were going to get bought out by a bigger corporation. And I wonder now how big these cannabis players are going to be. How big are they going to be? Maybe that they have to try to get as big as as they can, as fast as they can, so that it's harder for some of these larger fish to come in and kind of gobble them up, right? Is as they quickly are trying to scale, makes it harder for some of these larger players to come in because the valuation is just going to continue to rise. And I wonder if it's a strategic play on their part in order to try to scale as fast as humanly possible before the, the light turns green. I don't know if they can, I mean, to become so large that you're not going to be able to be acquired by like a cargo or a really large public company. I mean, that takes a lot of time, right? Like at the end of the day, it it really takes 10, it takes a decade to become a half a billion or half a trillion dollar company where you're too big to kind of be acquired. It might make it a more, um, friendly merger, in my opinion, right? If they're valued at like 50 billion or a hundred billion, where they kind of have more leverage in that conversation from a merger standpoint, but from an acquisition standpoint, I mean, I'm not an expert in this field, but 
I think that realistically that it's going to take a lot of time and, and maybe we see that play out with the federal government in the U S kind of kicking the can down the road as far as legality goes and kind of buying some more time for these, for the cure leaves to get large enough where they aren't able to, to be acquired. Right. Um, in a traditional sense, at least that's my, my two cents on it, you know? And then as far as the, the globalization goes, I know that, um, I think that that is going to be a more attractive opportunity for a lot of companies looking to grow, not only the large ones like Cureleaf, but um, like I was listening to one of your, to your podcast, I think that was released today, Arena with uh, um, Bina Goldberg, right, for the CEO of Supreme. And, and she said that they weren't even looking at the U.S. market. They were literally looking at partnering outside of the U.S. market because of all of the the turmoil and just confusion and the the lack of standardization between different states from a regulatory perspective. And so I think that until America, the United States, right, gets their trash on the truck, globalization is probably going to be, it's probably going to accelerate more for, especially for the Canadian LPs and even for some of the stronger players in Europe and Israel. I know Breath of Life and and some of those other companies are, are really coming on strong. So um, those, those are kind of my two cents. What do you think, Brian? Such a fun little game we're kind of just dissecting here. And yeah. we always kind of describe this as like the, the U.S. map and like a risk, like the game of risk where you've got like the strategic assets in these different states. And we're thinking about it too small scale. And I think, you know, that's my fault for thinking about it. Of Okay, these are the, the five U.S. US um, MSOs, but realistically, they don't want to be MSOs. They want to be global players. And the only way to do that is to continue to gobble up assets across the globe. And that's just a whole nother concept that I think is like another layer of strategic thinking that involves a ton of complexity. And it's going to be fun to watch over time as the industry continues to accelerate and these continuations of mergers continue to happen. So who's the next? Who's the next to make a, a big play here in Europe or somewhere international that we're just like, wow, I didn't see that one come in. You know, do you have any gut feeling on who that could be? I don't know, but I want to make a point about what you're saying. I, I, I was really interested. I was really interested in like, um, I guess like seven months ago, I had a guest, an analyst from Israel, Shiri Edenon, and she was talking about how Canadian players aren't MSOs. They're multi-country operators. And I think that's just a great way to think about it because it's the same idea, but just on a much broader, more global and much more complicated scale. Because you're dealing with, I mean, if you think the states are com- or maybe a similarly complicated scale in terms of all the regulations, um, you're, you're asked, the question is like a U.S. player that I think is going to be the next person to, to be globally dominant. Yeah, to make the move similar to Cheerleaf where they're like, okay, we might be operating in these few states, but now we just purchase some assets outside of what most would expect to be the next step we would make. It's an interesting question. I mean, any answer that I have would be purely speculative. Yes. Um, but if I'm looking at, you know, kind of how, how companies have asserted themselves up until now, I think if you're asking me, like, who would be the company to do that first, I, I would probably have guessed Curaleaf, um, which is very easy for me to say now, but 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 that is kind of how they were how they were played. So if I'm extending that to who I think would be next on that list, I mean, there's like companies like Trulieve that have focused on like one area and have been extremely, extremely, extremely um, strategic in that, and then kind of only allowed themselves to grow. So part of me feels like they would have the sense to maybe go into one place in Europe 
but part of me feels like they wouldn't because they're focused on the states. And every every time I, I think of a company like Air Strategies is another one that that has done like really smart um, acquiring and and really smart uh, consolidation. I also feel like I'm wondering if they're interested in in Europe, but um, I don't know. Maybe somebody like a medical player like Columbia Care because it's Europe is all and most of those countries are all medical. So maybe a more medic. I'm really just spitballing here. You guys are watching it happen live. Um, I, yeah, I, maybe maybe somebody more medically focused and that kind of is looking to make that next leap. I, I I would think and that's been really well managed and has the cash and, and, you know, um, ability to kind of accrue capital to, to make that happen. Let's talk about anchor. If you haven't heard about anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. That's right. No more excuses. Get your lazy ass off the couch. Go start a podcast. There's the creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone with computer. Once again, no more excuses. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Could it be easier? Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. They're paying us for this ad. Thank you very much, Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. Columbia Care would have been mine as well. They're just playing like a slower game where it feels like they're not making as much noise as everyone else, but strategically they're planting their flags across the States. They're building the slow way and they're, they're building a monster and people just don't give them as much credit as some of the others. And, you know, I don't know why that is, but I think what they're doing is absolutely incredible. And I think medically it makes sense, right? Just kind of connect those dots and, give yourself a strong foothold somewhere in Europe and now kind of start to collect the the global dominance. What do you think, Kellen? I think that there's a really interesting topic here because medical cannabis and recreational, like adult use cannabis are very, very, very different industries and very different business models in order to run them successfully. Right. And you're, you just think about trying to, I don't know if being like a, first market mover um, is an, an advantage in these kind of situations. And I think that a lot of the more strategic and maybe um, well thought out business models are really pulling back on the reins, right? Because going into these industries and trying to figure it out from a regulatory standpoint is really, really, really expensive, right? You're talking about developing new packaging for the same product in two different sectors that require completely different regulations. And that's just from a a packaging standpoint. From a manufacturing standpoint, I mean, EU GMP, which is their good manufacturing practices, is almost identical to the United States pharmaceutical GMP guidelines, right? But US also has what's called nutraceutical GMP guidelines. So like starting when you start to unpackage like all these different regulations, it becomes really, really expensive to operate in both the recreational space and the medical space as a startup, right? Because like a lot of these companies are not more than a decade old, right? And and so in essence, the whole industry is new and all these companies are brand new. So you're talking about trying to operate a multi-billion dollar vertically integrated corporation as, as a startup, right? Like <laughs> you don't have that person with a decade of experience. That's your manager that you can go be like, Hey, what have you experienced when you brought this product to market in, in Spain or in, in Germany for that instance? So I think that 
there's not enough weight given to the fact that these are very different business models. And I think that like GW versus Cureleaf, I, I can see some very, very um, different business models being executed. Uh, as far as what player is going to be the next to explain globally, I think that Columbia Care probably it would be my my speculative guess just because they have the experience in that medical space and the rest of the world is realistically it's medical only at this point. And so I think that that's probably the best uh, advantage that they can bring to the table from an expansion standpoint. I mean, what are your two cents here, Brian? First of all, can I just interject that we should start a, we should start a think tank or something? We're all we all have the same uh, take on that. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, I kind of wish I would have chosen someone else, but Columbia Care was my <laughs> was my go to. So I was kind of caught there, and I was like, uh oh, this thing I have to say. But no, I find it more compelling that we all kind of went there. Yeah, they should they should be very proud of themselves that yeah, they're getting a lot of pop from us. Uh, I mean, Kellen, like, there's a ton to unpack from what you said. Besides all those things, which absolutely agree, going to be extremely challenging. How are they going to staff all these companies? I mean, you're scaling a company. You're trying to produce a product the same over and over again. You, you don't have experienced individuals because obviously the product is illegal, all these other aspects. There's no educational system where they can go to Arizona University and actually learn about these things, which we've kind of dove into a couple of times. And they're learning on the fly, which is going to lead to just an insane amount of challenges from a scaling standpoint in an, in a quick amount of time. So you're right. It's going to be tons of different headaches and hurdles, but I think that's the beautiful part of the industry is that each operator could take these different paths and different strategic revenue streams. And at the same point, everyone's kind of trying to go in the same direction and the paths they'll take are going to be really, really different. Well, I, I think I, I, I did want to expand on just Kellen's point about how important it is to kind of like understand that this is like a protracted process, that I feel like even how long it takes to legalize in the States is going to, you know, make the case for what happens to some companies or how much they grow or how limited their growth is or where they're, sh- you know, I so I think that's lost in, in the discussion of, um, you know, full legalization and, and what it means and does this happen first or even if total full legalization, full stamp, all of this stuff happens, which is not going to happen. But even if that does happen, um, like, I just don't think it's all going to happen at once. I think it's going to be a little bit more piecemeal. Um, but even if that did happen, even that takes years to kind of fill out and all those regulations that Kellen was talking about take, you know, it, it's just much more complicated. And I think Something I've learned in the past like six months more than I have since the beginning is the importance of supply chain. Being able to manage that effectively, efficiently is really one of the like key ingredients in being a cannabis company at this point. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. So I want to ask a slightly different question. You've had a ton of really big guests on your podcast. Which one of the guests have surprised you the most? So it's an interesting question. I uh, I feel like there's probably two answers that I feel like because it was the first CEOs that I talked to that I felt like were really talking to me. You know, I feel like I don't know if that has to do with like me gaining experience as an interviewer and kind of getting into my shoes and knowing what to ask and, and how to ask it. Um, but I felt like for a while I was talking to to CEOs and I was just getting a lot of CEO speak. And I was, you know, kept on trying to dig in. And, and I realized in hindsight, 
And now it's happened to me a few more times. Bina Goldenberg, who I talked, who you said is the is a great example of of being a very forthcoming and, and you know articulate um, CEO. But but Kim um, was the first time. First of all, I feel like very proud in both those companies because I feel like both with TrueLeave and with Air Strategies, we kind of discovered them at, at the beginning of of the story a little bit. Certainly towards clo- closer to the beginning than and then to the end. Um, so I, I'm proud of that. And I'm, I'm also proud of kind of hearing about a stock from an executive and really feeling like they're acknowledging the things that they're doing well. They're acknowledging the things that people are talking about that don't seem, but, but talking about it and addressing it um, and not just giving fluff and, and really standing behind their numbers. And more than that, the strategy was just super convincing and not, it, it felt real to me. Um, so I would, I would, I guess that I would say that I was surprised by, uh, the authenticity. Um, and and that was my first time, like really experiencing that. And then as I, as I researched both companies, like after talking to both, um, John Sandelman from Air Strategies and Kim with True, with TrueLeave, um, you know, just kind of feeling like, oh, it's being proven out more and more, the more I dig into it, the more I look into it. And that feels amazing. (laughs) You know, it feels like you're really discovering something and you're really having a real conversation, not just here, let me be your mouthpiece to talk about, you know, your company, but you're really talking about something and, and really uh, figuring something out. So I I would say, um, yeah, just, just having nice experiences with executives. And I feel like that has set a trend. I think since then I've talked Nicholas Vita from Columbia cares, another one he's, he was awesome, you know, and just super compelling and, and, uh, and authentic and felt like they really knew what they were talking about. Yeah, those were uh, all incredible episodes. And the I, I saw Nick speak at MJ Biz three or four years ago, and that was the first time I had ever heard of Columbia Care, and I was instantly hooked. I felt like the, the two other people on stage were kind of playing this short game, and he was playing right. like a whole nother level strategically of understanding, like, I don't care about what happens in six months. I'm building this and understanding that this is where it's going, and I need to put the foundational pieces together so that we can actually grow a successful long-term company. And that just blew my mind as someone who studies business leaders strategically. And from a communication standpoint, it just was eye-opening. And I was an instant fan on those, those areas. It also doesn't hurt that those two companies that you mentioned, Air Strategies and Truly, have absolutely smashed in the stock markets. Uh, so it, good for them. And I continue to expect really tremendous growth for them. And I wonder to see what the, the next steps that they make are. I mean, I think that just to add on to that, there, um, I think there's something to be said about companies that are led by people that truly believe in what they're doing, right? And I think that Kim Rivers and um, the other individual, they both truly believe in their business models, and I think that that trickles down throughout the entire company and the culture. and And not only are they doing well in the stock market, but they're also doing well as like a just a business in and in and of itself, you know. Yeah. So I think that that's another important important um, piece of the puzzle as well. I I couldn't agree more. And something that I really love about both of those leaders, one is like, Kim, like if you see online, um, Mike Regan wrote about this um, in MJ, in MJ biz. And he was, you know, like there was a bunch of complaints about true leave while they were like redoing the system or getting on a new, getting online a new system. Um, And Kim responded to everyone and you see her online. She is so, public facing. And that is pure authenticity. And I I remember talking to John, like near the beginning of COVID and not wanting to lay people off, just like it matters, you know, and it it really does like create a culture. And 
if you couple that with business strategy, I mean, I know that I've taken this question in another direction, but it, it is like really one of my passions of like kind of celebrating good business practices and and good management. So I think those are just like some really good things to echo and, and to look for when you're looking at management. Biggest misconception since you started working in the cannabinoid space? I think the biggest misconception is more and more fading away. Um, like even when I would talk about, uh, you know, the cannabis podcast, like at work, like just in, in you know, there was always like a joke made, you know, a, a pun or about, you know, high or how many, it's just silliness. And I find that a lot when I would like talk to people at the beginning there's just a lot of silliness and puns and, and old tropes. And uh, I think that's a big misconception because it's real business. Also, a lot of people that take cannabis aren't taking THC cannabis. I mean, there's a whole non-psychoactive component of the sector, um, which will probably grow to maybe be more than the psychoactive part of the sector. So it's just that kind of, I, I, I think that's the biggest misconception that the industry is just like, a bunch of former stoners, you know, kind of getting together. And I I guess I would say there's a flip side to that. Also, there's another misconception that I feel like has been has been uh, disproven for me, which is like the new money coming into the industry that it's just like money guys who don't care about anything. And to hell with the legacy to hell with, you know, anything good, we're just coming in to gain profits. And I don't think that's true. I think there are, of course, some of them and some of them have been washed away. Um, as they should be. But but I think in, in a lot of cases, the money guys coming in that are helping shore up these businesses are really have like great strategies and intentions and, and are doing things like well. And, and so that's also been kind of a nice dispelling of a myth for me. I like those. My wife sometimes uh, hesitates. She's a school teacher, hesitates to tell people that I'm in cannabis as if right. That I'm consuming the plan on a regular basis and not kind of looking at it from like a scientific standpoint, but it's a conversation for another time with her, which we're glad she doesn't listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> before we do prediction time, two final questions. If you could sum up your experience in the cannabinoid space into one main takeaway or major lesson learned for the next generation to pass on, what would that be? Oh man. Um, you know, I think um, doing something, I, I guess if I could sum it up is profit and purpose. I think that's like my my railing cry on the podcast. And I guess if I, to, to sum it up in a soundbite, I would put it at that because, right, we all want to make money. We all want to have money. We all want to do the things we want to do. And, um, and I think hopefully we also all want to like be doing good while we're doing that. And, and I think for me, those are those are the two most important things. And I think that just go really well with cannabis because cannabis is an inherently good, powerful, wonderful thing that if used correctly can do wonderful, powerful things and can also make a whole bunch of people money. So like, you know, that's great. Win-win. Well said. And the last time you consumed any cannabinoid product. Oh, buddy, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the plan. Uh, yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, big fan. Awesome. Prediction time. Yesterday and after I talked to you. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. We have we've had people on the podcast take it, so <laughs> yeah. it's it's pretty real time here. Prediction time. The largest mainstream cannabis company six to twelve months from now, let's say US based. Who do you think that'll be? 
Mm. Something I think a lot about. Um, biggest in terms of what? Did you specify in terms of what? It could be, yeah, it may be EV. It can be just, you know, branding standpoint. I think if we look back six to 12 months from now and you say this guy is the largest player in the United States, they've got HQs everywhere and they're doing some really big things. Who do you think that'll be? It's a good question. Um, It's a good question. Six to 12 months is an interesting question because it's like between here and there. Um, I think it's still in the middle of a process. I, I guess, you know, probably purely for air strategies. Um, I, I think both of them are kind of picking up and growing and picking up and growing and, and doing it well. Um, purely certainly more dominant in some areas um, and, and certainly more public facing still than air strategies. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if air strategies took the next six to 12 months to really propel themselves to the next uh, tier. Um, could also be green thumb, but I, I guess probably those are probably like my top two choices. Kellen. Um, it's a good question. I think that, um, I mean, Cure Leaf right now, of course, they got the biggest market cap and they're, I think in the most States, correct. Uh, and so they're probably the safe bet, but I'm going to go with GTI. I mean, I, I read an article this morning about their entry into the California market. I've heard some rumors that there might be a potential merger with TrueLeave, which would make them, I think, much larger than, uh, than Cure at that point, right? So I'm going to go on a limb and say GTI, speculating, speculating at least. What do you think, Brian? We spend too much time together because that's that's who I was going to take and the merger. Like I still hold out hopes on the GTI truly merger. I think that would just be an absolute game changer. And I think that would accelerate the speed of the consolidation of the industry to a whole nother level. And I think the other companies would be chasing them pretty quickly. So that would definitely be my, my choice. Who runs it though? You think they Kim keeps running it if they merge? She's crushing it, dude. How, I mean, how, <laughs> right? how could you like not? Yeah, I don't know if you choose a, another person. <laughs> totally right. Crushing it. Like those numbers are just insane in Florida. And right. like, well, let's see what happens when they go to some of these other states because what they're doing in Florida is just absolute dominance. It's like a monopoly. It's so it's insane. <laughs> it's, insane. <laughs> it's insane. So any any last final words for maybe Jim Cramer and Raina before we get blocked? <laughs> Block me. I would love it. All that does is it just adds to my rep. So yeah, big, big in favor of being, although I'm not following him. So I think I need to follow him to be blocked. So maybe I should start there. We'll tag him in this. And I guess my final words would be like, figure it out, Jim. Like, come on, dude. Like it's unacceptable. Like, you know, what's going on. Start giving these, these companies their credit. So the last thing is Raina for all of our listeners that want to get in touch with you and learn more about, uh, you know, some of the experience in the space and, and kind of hear from you, where can they hear from you? Um, yeah, find me on Seeking Alpha. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, all under my name, Rena Sherbel. Um, yeah, I, I love, love, love hearing from listeners and people interested in the space. And it's really my favorite part of the day is reading emails from from people and and hearing their questions. And it makes me smarter and it makes me more encouraged and more inspired. So I, I would love to hear from, from anyone who wants to get in touch. Awesome. Yeah. Stop asking Kellen and I about investment questions <laughs> and ask Raina instead and you guys will do way better. So thanks everyone for your time. Thanks Raina. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. It was a pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.